Well, before we get started, I just want to point out, I was going to mention this earlier, but um, we, one of the things we'll be doing this afternoon at our member meeting is discussing um, or petitioning the presbytery for particularization. And I've talked a lot about that and defined that for you, but um, if you aren't able to make it back this afternoon, but you would like to sign that petition, I'll, I have it here. So if you'd like to be a part of signing that and turning that into presbytery, I, there's, this doesn't necessarily require a certain number of signatures, but it would be something uh, that would be nice for you to be a part of if you are a member here and you know you're not going to be able to make it back this afternoon. So please find me afterwards and make sure you sign that. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 13 through all of chapter 10, so down to chapter 10, verse 20. And we've been considering through much of Ecclesiastes the question, what is the point of living? And the preacher's been breaking down the most common cultural strongholds that many rely upon, the pursuit of a comprehensive knowledge, uh, the indulgence of worldly pleasures, trying to find as much satisfaction as you can in simply enjoying life. But oftentimes with um, hedonistic tendency, just a, just a desire for pleasure at all costs, not considering God. Or even just a general sense of self-sufficiency. I can do this on my own. Right? All of these things, he's been just breaking down. And the preacher's study of wisdom has brought him to this consistent conclusion that life is filled with frustration. It would be easy to see him as a hopeless fatalist. Right? Someone who's just succumbed to chance. Like Whatever happens is going to happen anyways, regardless of what I say or do. So I might as well eat, drink, and be merry. Right? We could paint him in that picture. We could see him that way. But instead, he's consistently challenged us to enjoy life despite the injustices and the unpredictability in light of what God has given us. It's been a God-centered joy that he's called us to. And so he'll continue to do that here in, in chapter 10 and the end of chapter 9. But before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Ecclesiastes. And as challenging as it is, we relate to so much of it because there is a lot of confusion in life. There is a lot of frustration and trials that we face. And our attitudes aren't always properly aligned with your will. And so we pray that as we look to your word now, you would do a work in our hearts. Again, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, soften our hearts to respond appropriately. That we would meditate upon this passage and be changed by it, by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Read with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. 
There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. There was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed." If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what, it, what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city." Woe to you, O land, when your child is king and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through the sloth are the roo- through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, there is a lot to take in. And for much of this, the, the Proverbs that we find here, the small sentences and the frequent shift in topic and subject, it's, it's just a reiteration of what he's already said. And so we're taking it all together, and I'm, I'm just going to try to work through it quickly and give us an, uh, a, a good idea of what he's talking about here, and hopefully wrap it up um, in a way that's helpful. But there are simply too many examples of modern politicians or ce- celebrity personalities who have ended their careers due to foolish words and actions. Uh, New scandals are on the headlines every morning. Wisdom is lacking, and in many cases, it's hardly even desired 
by our contemporary culture. And so we can point our finger at everyone else, but I want this to be personal. Right? How often do we choose foolishness instead of wisdom? How often do we face our decisions or simply respond to some injustice that we perceive in a rash manner? A quick burst of anger. These are the things that, that we see over and over in this passage. The key words are wisdom, wise. We see that 11 times, some form of wisdom. We see the idea of a fool or folly or foolishness nine times. So those are the two points. Those are the contrasts that we see back and forth throughout. Right, is, is we have the option. Are we going to be foolish this next moment or are we going to be wise? That applies even now. Right, are we going to foolishly daydream or are we going to engage our minds and hearts in what we're hearing, which is wisdom from above? So true wisdom teaches us to treasure what is better. So let's begin here with this section, verses 13 through 16. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So here we see a poor man is has by his own wisdom delivered this little city from the attack of a great king, a great army that is gathered around his city and attacked it, building great siege works against it, and somehow he was victorious. And we've actually seen this throughout history. One example in particular stood out to me, and it's the Siege of Vienna. If you haven't read about that, you should look it up. September 1529, the Ottoman Empire, after almost a century of conquest and, and successful conquest, has neared the capture of all of Hungary. And Wilhelm von Rogendorf commands 20,000 farmers, peasants, civilians, and European mercenaries within the city walls of Vienna and all they have is 75 artillery guns. And they're up against 100,000 Ottomans. So five times the number of Ottoman soldiers against this makeshift militia, basically. Not only that, the Ottomans had 500 artillery. And so the Ottomans started their attack by, with 300 of their guns just barraging the city. And at the same time, they sent several of their, their soldiers to digging tunnels to try to get up near to the wall and to undermine the stability of, those, of the structure. Well, alongside Roggendorf was this wise 70-year-old German mercenary, mercenary named Nicholas, Nicholas Graf Salm. And he he had the thought 
to place bowls of water with dried peas on top all around the wall so that as, as any Ottomans were digging near the wall, he would see the peas begin to vibrate, which would cause ripples in the water so that those on the wall would be able to see immediately this is where they're digging. And then they could send their own tunnel and to, to destroy the work and the efforts. Well, the Ottomans were doing this in multiple places, but they were able to thwart all of them, to defeat them. And ultimately, uh, the Ottomans had to retreat. And it turned the tide of history. Right? It was the first real defeat of the Ottoman Empire in almost 100 years because of a wise man's because of, of his strategy. And so wisdom, we learn here, is better than might. Even though, in this case, that man was not remembered. You probably haven't heard of Nicholas Groff Psalm, or maybe you have. He does have a name in the history books. But this man that the preacher is speaking about was forgotten, and that's often the case. Right? We think of those who are strong and mighty, not those who are wise. He goes on to speak of the words of the wise are heard in quiet. Are, they're better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Again, now he's talking about the idea that, that quiet wisdom is much more effective than a shouting ruler who's shouting to fools. It's the representative from Russia who was pounding his shoe at the United Nations trying to get everyone to listen to him and, and, and he just really lost all dignity in the act. We don't respect that. We don't respect just someone who's shouting commands foolishly. Wisdom, it says here, is, is better than weapons. Though there is much harm, great harm, that a sinner can do. Right, and that's where he begins to transition in this next section because he wants to talk about folly. Even a little folly can ruin the entire strategy of the wise one. And so verses 1 through 3, you have here this dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left that's not speaking politically. Some of you may regretfully admit that. When the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. So one foolish word, one foolish decision, one foolish pleasure or indulgence in pleasure can ruin everything. Right? We see this. We see it in our own lives. And choosing the right, or a man's heart, a wise man's heart is inclined to the right. It means he's inclined to do what is good. He's inclined to the things that are honorable, that are lovely, that are true. Rather than what is bad, what is evil, what brings harm. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23 as a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. And that's what we see in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 10. Right? The fool walks on the road. He lacks sense. He's just, 
he proclaims to everyone that he's a fool. Whether that's through his actions, through the way he walks, through the things that he says, it's, it seems to imply that you just know. He just reveals his foolishness in all that he does. Right? He can't help himself. And then verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And you've heard the common phrase from England, stay calm and carry on. Maybe you didn't know it was biblical. To stay calm when someone, when, an anger, uh, when a ruler is angry with you. The response is to stay calm. Maybe that can apply even at a lower level, when your boss is angry with you, right? when your spouse is angry with you, when you have relationships where someone is angry, oftentimes simply responding with calmness can diffuse the situation. Right, so true wisdom teaches us to treasure what is better. The wise lean right, they withstand temptation when they face it on a daily basis. They desire sanctification and discipleship. They want to grow in Christ. They're not being forced to come to church. They desire to be here. The wise think on good things. As I alluded to, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about things that draw you into praise. Reflect upon the things that are going to bring you back to his word, that are going to fill your heart with anticipation for worship. Have you ever read God's word and just kind of had to put it down so you could meditate upon the truth you just read? You're so engaged that you recognize you need to worship right then and there. Maybe you get into a different posture. Maybe you simply close your eyes. But there's a, a work that the Spirit is doing in your heart. Right, that is causing you to be strengthened for the temptations you'll face, that is giving you desires for the things that bring him glory and honor. So you think about those things and it reflects in the way you speak. So instead of being rash with your words, you're thoughtful, you're prudent. You can respond to respond to and angry child with patience. And so we must look ultimately to a wisdom that is superior than human wisdom. Right? Only wisdom that comes from above can save us. Folly returns anger for anger, but Christ teaches us by his own example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Right, that's an example of returning anger with calmness. 
That's something we all need to meditate upon. He transitions from that wisdom now to examples of evil. In verse 5 through 7, there is an evil that I've seen under the sun as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler. So again, he's still kind of thinking politically here. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Well, this is an evil, he says, that princes and royalty and the rich are in low places, that they're being humbled and the foolish are being exalted. But it's an evil that was brought on by a ruler, an heir proceeding from a ruler. But evil even extends beyond politics. He goes on in verse 8 to say, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Right? A hunter can become the prey. Typically through their own foolish actions. Forgetting to set something right. Forgetting where they set their snare. Falling into it. Verse 9, He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Right, the stone falls on their foot. The, the log splits and lands in their face. Yeah, you, you become injured by the work that you're performing. These are evils, oftentimes, that fall upon the foolish, those who aren't being safe. Maybe you've seen those images. Uh, there's a picture, like a meme, that says the guy's hanging up a sign that says safety first, and he's got one foot on a ladder and the other foot dangling in midair as he's holding onto a banner that's got a, obviously not enough to support his weight. Foolishness, right? These are evils that extend beyond politics that we experience in work, in play. And then he gives an idea here from verses 10 and 11 that wisdom helps. He gives two different examples. First of all, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If, so if, there's, if your tool is dull, you should sharpen it, right? Use some wisdom. Work smarter, not harder. In verse 11, if the serpent bites before its charm, there's no advantage to the charmer. Again, the snake sometimes bites before its charm, so the charmer has to be patient. There's, snake charmers still exist. They can still die if they're not patient, waiting for the snake to be in their proper attitude, I guess, to be handled. But here's what he's saying. He's, he's implying that wisdom is helpful. It, it can help us avoid some of these consequences, some of these evils that we bring upon ourselves. Again, we have an example in Matthew chapter 7 of the value of wisdom. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, we read this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Notice the same fate occurs to both the wise man and the foolish man, right? And that's something the preacher has acknowledged himself. Everyone experiences the same things. But here Jesus is saying that the The wise one prepared for the storm. The wise one was ready for what was coming. The fool's house was likely built faster, maybe even more extravagant. Maybe he was throwing parties while the wise man was meticulously preparing his foundation around these rocks. But that same storm came upon both houses and only one was standing at the end. And it was the one who not only heard the words of Christ, but did them. So one foolish decision can create a chain reaction. The foolish decision of building it on sand. Everything else might have been perfectly done, but the decision to build the house on sand destroyed everything. Just like one night of self-medicating with drugs or alcohol can lead to a life-ruining addiction. One click on attempting advertisement can lead to hours of sexual lust. One angry word can lead to an outburst of physical or emotional abuse. See, true wisdom teaches us to treasure what is better. And as we look to Christ, we see that instead of wine, Jesus chose prayer. I should say instead of drunkenness, technically. Jesus chose prayer. Instead of sinful lust, Jesus craved genuine communion. Instead of anger, Jesus chose compassion every time. Instead of sinful anger. Again, Jesus got angry, but it was a righteous anger. It was the kind of anger that mimicked his father. And so when you're discerning, when you're wise... You begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And disaster falls upon the fool who hears Christ's word but ignores them, who sees his example and chooses his own way. Well, he transitions from here from actions to words, and this is where we'll look at the rest of these verses from 12 through 20. A fool is destroyed by his words. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. He's swallowed up by his own words. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. He only gets worse. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. Out of his ignorance, he speaks. And he just continues to reveal his ignorance. 
a wise person has something to say, a fool speaks because he has to say something. And there's this desire, this need to speak. That's Plato, by the way. There's just this constant need to say something to reveal their foolishness. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he doesn't know the way to the city. This is the idea that he's, he's so lost he can't even find his way to the city. A fool can't fight his way out of a paper bag, we might say today. And then he gives a woe to those who are under a king that is foolish. Right? Woes to those. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince's feast in the morning. These are foolish rulers who are partying in the morning, celebrating and drinking all day long. And Phil Riken points to an example, a notable example in European history is Charles XII. He says this, he became king of Sweden when he was only a teenager. And the wild behavior of Charles and his friends included riding on horseback through his grandmother's apartment, knocking people to the ground in the city streets and practicing firearms by shooting out the windows of the palace. In response to this, the leading preachers of Stockholm all agreed to preach from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 16 on the same Sunday, pronouncing woe on a land with a child for a king and princes that feasted in the morning. Pretty appropriate verse for the context. He goes on to talk about those who are happy living under wise rulers. Right? This is one reason why we want to pray for the wisdom of our rulers. Verse 18, through sloth the roof sinks in, through indolence the house leaks. Speaking of laziness that doesn't maintain our own home brings destruction and disaster upon ourselves. And again, he has this refrain of bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, money answers everything. He's talking about using it with wisdom here. Right? That we would enjoy the food that God's given us, the wine that gladdens life. He's already talked about the dangers of wine, but there's a way to enjoy it in moderation as a gift from God, and money answers everything. And lastly, verse 20, even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Again, don't curse the king in your thoughts or the rich in private because they may find out. A little bird might tell them. Now, this is something we absolutely need to keep in mind every transition or every cycle, political cycle that we go through. Every eight years, it seems like we go from rejoicing to cursing. So do you pray for our political leaders, even the ones we dislike? Imagine the impact Christians would have if we prayed instead of cursed our political representatives. The wise choose their words carefully. They seek to build up rather than to tear down. But ultimately, we'll close with this, we must look to our greatest ruler. Right, the king of kings. He alone is wisdom and offers true wisdom. 
Jesus Christ is the poor, wise king who defeated all his and our enemies with the wisdom of the cross, which was foolishness to the world. Right, have you placed your hope in his wisdom? Jesus lived a perfect life but faced the evil of evils. And he bore the wrath of God for us as your gratitude for redemption resulted in obedience. Finally, Jesus has the words of eternal life as Peter testifies. After, after, after many disciples walked away from Jesus in John chapter 6, he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Have you believed and come to know that he is the Holy One of God, as Peter did? And if you agree that true wisdom teaches us to treasure what is better, then you will look to Christ without delay in faith and repentance. So let's turn to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.